Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you just listened us in this episode, my invitation for you, if you are a vulva owner, take our quiz. We have a quiz that you can take. It takes about two or three minutes and gives you some information about what are some of the areas of your sexual health that you can focus on to improve your sexual experiences. The link is in the show note and make sure you're spending some time to get some information about how you can reach your sexual potential. Our guest today is Lucy Fielding, and we're going to talk about trans embodiment. They published this wonderful book called Trans Sex Clinical Approach to Transsexuality and Erotic Embodiment. And they were been doing wonderful work in this field for, for a long time. Today in this episode, we're going to talk about a politics of desirability. We're going to talk about the experiences of trans individuals in dating apps, the challenges that comes up for people, and oftentimes when I have people in the show, I ask the question that my clients are asking me. So if you have more questions about working with any population, please send me your questions and I would be delighted to find experts to talk about the challenges that you have because this is a show for you. And I want to make sure that the content we're focusing on is, is something that you are interested to learn more about. As I mentioned, our guest is Lucy Fielding. Lucy is a white, queer, non-binary femme and a resident in counseling participating in Charlottesville. She received her master's in counseling psychology at Pacifica Graduate University. Lucy also holds a PhD in French from Northwestern University, where she specializes in 18th century literature, histories of sexuality, and erotic literature. You can read their full bio in the show notes, but make sure you are checking out their book. The book is fantastic. I I learned from the book a lot because this is the population that I haven't worked with as much. And I'm always interested to learn more and strengthen my information and my ability as a clinician. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lucy Fielding. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Lucy Fielding on our show. Lucy, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Thank you. I was so looking forward to this conversation. I read your book. I felt it was amazing, the information you shared. And I feel it's one of those topics that we haven't talked much about about it in this podcast. Because there are not that many experts like you that have this wealth of information about helping trans individuals. So you just published your book. Tell us, how did you get into writing that? Well, I think the genesis is really that I wanted to see a a model that supported trans and non-binary folks in terms of erotic embodiment and sexual health, sexual expression, erotic expression. 
because there really wasn't anything out there and the and what is written in the in the clinical literature is you know normally about like function as a you know like function after you know some kind of medical transition pathway like hormone therapy or or a surgical procedure usually top or bottom surgery and you know it's so like the functional consequences of pursuing one of these treatment pathways and that just didn't reflect, you know, the heterogeneity of trans experiencing. I didn't see myself in that. And I didn't see myself in a lot of the, the wonderful sex education and sex therapy books that were that, that have been coming out the last 10 years that are incredible, you know, that and many of whom I, I cite and discuss in the book, but I was really tired of reading apologies in introductions that said, you know, like, we're going to talk about cis people because we'd love to talk about trans people, but there just isn't that much research. And it's like, why isn't there that much research? Why? And then why must I, and why must my clients be in this position where they have to extrapolate from cis experiencing to their experiencing to MacGyver? you know, from, from that. And we're an ingenious community. We know how to get in touch with our bodies and to, and to find pleasure and gender goodness in it, uh, in our bodies. But, but for some of us, for many of us, you know, going to providers and, and I had this experiences as a client and a patient going to uh, mental health and medical providers and feeling like the questions that I had couldn't be answered by, by them, or they didn't know how to support me in the questions I had. Questions like, will I be fuckable? Will I, you know, how will this, how will pursuit of, you know, coming into relationship with my gender, how will that impact my, my sexual life? And you know, thankfully, you know, there were community-based resources that I had access to, like um, Mirabelle Weathers' excellent scene, fucking trans women, Allison Moon's fabulously inclusive book, Girl Sex 101, the trans sex scene. But for many of us, like, we don't have access to that. And we don't have necessarily, we don't always feel empowered to call in our providers and to say like, mm, no, that's not right. You know, like sex is not a drive. It is, it's not, you know, stop talking to me about libido it going up or down. It's, it's about responsive desire. It's about context. It's about all those things. So that's a really long-winded answer to, you know, I, I think it just came out of this sense of, I wanted to build something from the trans up. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think that's so important. And you're right that I feel, as I was sharing with you before recording, that as a, a psychologist, I'm trying in sex therapy. I, I do my best to be inclusive, but I feel just not enough resources. I, I As a cisgender woman, I don't want to kind of like project what I think would be useful, right? You want to share information that's evidence-based, information-based. And 
I feel there was a gap in the uh, in the information, and that's why I think your book is great. And you know, one thing you talk about it in the book that I didn't think much about it was politics of desirability. I didn't mm-hmm. think about about it much. I work with clients who are struggling with eating disorders. That's my other specialty, and even with people in bigger bodies and mm-hmm. like what we perceive as desirable also impact people internalize experiences. Can you tell us more about that? Well, the politics of desirability is something that a lot of BIPOC femmes and fat femmes have been talking about for for years. Folks like Caleb Luna and Hunter Shackelford and, and many, many others. And there have been a lot of studies about how you know, attraction works and how we think it works versus how it actually works, which is to say that we know, we, we, we imagine a lot of the times that our, that attraction is idiosyncratic, that it's subjective, that it's like, I like who I like. And, you know, like there's, there's no changing that. And, and while there is some sense to the, the idea that like, I don't want people like going out and experimenting so that they, you know, like, like go find the nearest trans woman and, you know, and, (laughs) and, you know, so that you can feel good about, you know, like expanding your dating horizon. That's not what I'm talking about, but I am talking about like, let's clue ourselves in. And this is the politics of desirability that I'm drawing from. We must clue ourselves into how the cultures in which we are moving and moving in and and embodying our our conditioning or informing who we find attractive. And so we see this in like dynamics of colorism on dating apps or or we see it in within trans populations. There's been some recent research that shows that like the moment that trans folks disclose that they are trans or not binary, they will they will be in in many ways rejected. They'll they'll experience dating while trans. And this is just like cis trans dating. And you know, I personally I'm a huge fan of T for T, trans for trans dating, because it's just joyful and wonderful. And but like in terms of seeing the effects of desirability on who we are, who we're attracted to, it's it's no accident. And so like, and you see it in just like subtle shifts in how you talk about yourself on, on dating apps. And, and that will dramatically alter who is swiping on you. Love that. You know, I, I do this kind of open room and clubhouse about sexual health. So for our listeners, they're not familiar with clubhouse. It's an audio based social media and, you know, it's, I've been getting lots of questions from trans identifying individuals and they're talking about their anxiety of sharing this with a partner, as you were talking mm-hmm. about, like, mm-hmm. when should I share it with a partner? How can I share it that I will be accepted? And I don't know if I have an answer for that because it, because of the biases that we have our societies, how we structure ourselves toward how we see who we see desirable. Can you tell us more about that? About the the disclosure point? Right, right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think different people are going to have different answers. I can tell you how I operate on on dating apps insofar as like 
I list myself as my gender. I am a non-binary femme. <laughs> I don't, I list my pronouns. I don't go into anything beyond that. When, when I feel that like something is, is, you know, going well and, you know, we're enjoying one another's company and enjoying one another's conversation, usually in messaging before we meet in person, then some point, like I will decide, you know, I'm trans, here's what that means, you know, but like, I don't, I really resent the idea that we must upfront disclose. And so I don't do it. I, I, I really just like leave it at non-binary femme. And it's not because there's this, uh, Julia Serrano talks about, you know, like in media representations, the idea of the deceitful trans person and particularly the deceitful trans feminine person. And, and so the, and, and it shows up in, in, you know, so many film and television representations. I mean, including stuff I grew up with, like, you know, the, the crying game and Ace Ventura. And there's a wonderful uh, documentary out via Netflix by called um, Disclosure. And it's precisely about, you know, representations of trans folks and how that uh, affects us. But like, I don't talk about like genitals or, or really like, or terms until like, you know, like I feel like they need to know. Like if I'm, if we're doing in-person dating, like if that's, when that becomes the thing, you know, of course, like then I expect to have a conversation about like, what do you want to call your parts? What, what, um, how do you want to interact with my body? How do you not want me interacting with your body? You know, what energies and intentions do you, do we want to be bringing to this interaction, to these experiences? That's of course, totally legitimate. But, you know, this expectation that we should, you know, disclose up front, you know, it's bullshit. <laughs> That's true. I agree with you. And I think it's, it, you talk about erotic privilege in your book. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, what's interesting is when you are belong to the group that you're not a privileged group, you're very aware of that. So I, my audience, they know I'm, I'm Middle Eastern. And if you're thinking about race, then that, I'm part of otherness. And I'm very mm-hmm. aware of that. But I didn't think about erotic privilege until I read about it in your book. I didn't think about it as much that it's what a privilege it is to not need to be worried about that because mm-hmm. of that being a cisgender presenting person. For our listeners, I know many of the people or our listeners are therapists. Can you say more about that, that the erotic privilege? Yeah, so erotic privilege is, you know, the ways that certain people, certain bodies in particular, are coded as a kind of ideal and they are invested then with with attention, with, you know, like that sex education is geared towards them, research is geared towards them, media representations are geared towards them. And they typically in a Western European and United States idiom, they tend to be bodies that are white or or light-skinned. They tend to be thin, cis, het, or straight. They tend to be younger bodies. They tend to be able bodies. 
And so anyone who does, you know, who does not conform to one or more of these, of these qualities is erratically marginalized in some way and is in many ways what I refer to as an unimaginable body. They are, we are divested of being seen as sexual beings. And it's really interesting, you know, for so many populations who are simultaneously erotically marginalized and also at the same time fetishized and objectified and hypersexualized. So like, it's like there's this dance of desexualization and objectification and, and hypersexualization, you know, that, that plays out. And, you know, we've seen this in so many populations in, in like Black women, Indigenous women, trans folks, this idea of like a genital curiosity is the way that I put it, you know, is kind of, you know, put because our genitals have these stories that that the cultures in which we move want to replicate and for us to tell and to perform. And, and so we want genitals to tell their stories. And, uh, and, and this has been, ha for example, like folks with vulvas will, will recognize that the stories that have been mapped onto the hymen and mapped onto the clitoris and, you know, like, and particularly the hymen around virginity, like that awful construct. And, you know, so that's, a, that's another story that, that we expect genitals to tell us. We expect to read by the, the, dis, the discharge after somebody's first time with PIV sex. And, and if that's not there, then there's, there's something wrong, you know? So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories that we expect folks to tell. And there is that tension between desexualization and hypersexualization. And, and so for unimaginable bodies, it's that like, for example, like we're either not seen as objects of desire. So the desirability piece, or we're not seen as subjects of desire. So we do not have access to desiring others. So we are not sexual beings. And, you know, so often that manifests in terms of just like being completely discounted as having an ability to experience pleasure. Which is so unfortunate. And I know as, as one of the concepts that you're talking about in the book is this concept of erotic embodiment. And I think mm -hmm. that's really powerful. And it challenges the view that many people have is that even in, in kind of heterosexual relationship, that if someone has this particular organ, this is how we're navigating ourselves. ABC mm -hmm. is a step to experiencing pleasure. And we don't bring this curiosity and really kind of approaching it at an individual level. So tell us more about what do you mean by erotic embodiment? Well, first of all, embodiment has two senses. Embodiment is both kind of the experience of ourselves as corporeal, as, as having bodies, heaving bodies that, that are effusive, that, are vis that we have visceral experiences moving in our bodies. And then there are, then there's the other sense of embodiment, which is when we embody something, um, when we embody like an ideal or a cultural script. And so when I'm talking about erotic embodiment, I'm talking about, you know, what is this, how do we get to this point 
of coming back to the body, coming to the body, developing, coming into what I call passionate relationship with the embodied sexual self. And this is where I, I just want to pause for a second and say, you know, this book was written for trans folks and non-binary folks. However, like, this is not to say that I believe and, and that this, that the principles that are explored in this book, the frameworks are just as easily and joyfully applied to working with cis clients. It's just that I start with trans and non-binary folks as the point of departure rather than cis folks, which is what like 99% of sex education and sex therapy training does. And so, you know, so I think about the ways that cis folks are harmed by these cultural scripts that say, you know, that this is what bodies are for. This is what sex is. This what is what pleasure is. This is how you achieve pleasure. All of these things, they harm us all, whether we're cis or trans. And we need a reckoning with that. And so I'm, I seek nothing less than, than a liberatory politics with respect to our erotic lives. I want to you know, throw out discourses like the discourse of function that so traps us in this idea of genital sex or genitals performing in particular ways or where we you know, collapse the distinction between pleasure and orgasm so that pleasure means orgasm. And so, because for so many of us, like the goal shouldn't be orgasm. You know, it's like, I, I tell some of my clients who are, you know, seeking to experience orgasm, you know, it's like a watch pot never boils. You know, like if, if you are focused uniquely on the goal, you're not seeing that the path to that can be so yummy and rich and filled with discovery and exploration and curiosity. And what happens if we approach ourselves and our partners from a beginner place of a beginner's mind? I don't know what this is. I don't know how to interact with, with this body. Why don't we explore together? Why don't we check in with one another and and you know and do all of the yummy things that folks who work in sexual communication suggest that we do, you know, and, and, and what opens up when that is possible? Like what suddenly, what kinds of shame can get discharged when we do this? Like I think about folks with penises who, you know, who have been told that they suffer from erectile dysfunction. And it's, it's not that, you know, there aren't some folks with penises who may want to have PIV or PIA sex, but, but if we stop privileging that and we say like, there are so many things that you can do with a flaccid penis, it, the nerve endings do not require erection to be stimulated. And so, and there's so much there, there's so much to play with, you know, sexuality is, is, is so rich. And the moment we throw out what Carl Dunker, a gestalt psychotherapist refers to as functional fixedness, this idea that we invest objects or activities with a particular, we can't think of other ways to interact with them, to imagine into them. So yeah, let's, let's revision, let's mystify what we're doing. 
And what a beautiful way for anyone to explore their erotic self with this kind of like unlearning these negative messages of what's expected of you and your sexuality and kind of paying attention to what shows up for you, what is pleasure and what feels good and communicating that with a partner. And you're right. I think that's a principle that's applicable to everyone because many of the painful situations, even with heterosexual clients that I work with, comes from this idea of this is sex, this lack of flexibility. Mm-hmm. If this is uh, this is not the outcome, therefore we are failure and our sex life is a failure. And mm-hmm. sometimes it gets in the way of us really exploring what's there. So I know in the book, it's a wonderful book. You have a lot of great <laughs> interventions, informations for, for therapists. And I would imagine people are kind of identifying as non-binary. So tell us more about where can people get a hold of the book and yeah. you yourself and your teaching? Well, in terms of getting in touch with me, I have a website, lucyfielding.com. I'm pretty active on Instagram. I have a Twitter presence, but I honestly prefer Instagram. It, it just works better for me. So that's at Lucy Fielding. In terms of getting the book, you know, hopefully your local bookstore, have them carry it, bookshop.org. And you can buy it directly from Routledge. And if you use a code and uh, I can I can furnish your, your readers with, uh, your listeners with a code, you can get 20% off the list price. And yeah, so I, I really hope folks find things that they resonate with, that they, and that empower them to think differently. I, I really want to leave with this sense of, this is an opening onto a conversation. I don't expect to have all the answers. I won't have all the answers. My imagination is limited. And I'm really excited to support and center those who who look at my work and say like, oh, Lucy didn't include this. This needs to be talked about. And like, I want to be there lifting those folks up because we need more research. We need more sex education book that sees everybody and sees everybody, everybody as magically multi-orgasmic, polymorphously perverse playgrounds of wonder. Beautiful. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for leaving this wonderful jewel with us. And on that note, if people are interested to get your book, they can find it in the show notes. We make sure we'll include the code that you mentioned. And thank you so much for your time being so generous with all of this wonderful information. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. I hope you guys found our conversation meaningful. I know there are a big group of clinicians that are listening to this show and I'm with you and I'm always learning from other wonderful therapists, counselors that are working with different population. I wanted to give you guys an update. So we closed the survey. I remember that I was doing a survey of our listeners and for a few weeks and the result wasn't very interesting. So it, it happened that as far as gender, we have 45% male, 45% female. So it's an even break, which is very interesting. And the rest are people, other people with all gender, different genders. And we had some people didn't want to disclose. As far as the topics you guys requested, 90%, I think 89 was the number when I last checked, 
you guys requested sexual skills. 75% of you requested interviews with researchers, uh, researchers on newest finding in the world of sexual health. And uh, there was a small part of the population, I think it was like 30%, that requested topics on different forms of sexual dysfunction. We covered, I would say, 100% of the uh, sexual dysfunctions that that I, I heard from at least three to four times. So if you are interested to learn more about a specific dysfunction, my invitation for you is to go to sexologypodcast.com and search the term in our search, because I can guarantee you that if you're struggling with common sexual challenges, we have covered it. As far as our plan and upcoming season that I am releasing the whatever I have in my vault left, interviews with wonderful colleagues and therapists, because I've been recording lots of interviews in last several months. And starting late December to early January, I'm going to have different sex educators, sex therapists coming to us to talk about sexual skills. Super, super excited. So far, I recorded over 12 episodes. And these are, some of them are long because the information is so good that I I just cannot let the person go. And you know how my colleagues are very generous and they keep answering my questions. And I am so excited to share those episodes with you. Make sure you are subscribing and following our channel because I can guarantee you that 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 season gonna blow your mind. After we finish the season on sexual skills, then we're gonna pivot to scientific studies and talking to researchers. And I know that's my passion. It's gonna be more, I think, around mid-March that we'll get to those conversations, but I'm equally excited. And I recorded some videos of these educators teaching us skills. It's just like fun, hilarious, informative. So you don't want to miss it. If there is a specific skill that you have in mind, uh, let me know. I'm wrapping the interviews in two weeks. I told you I already recorded more than 12, and some of the topics we so far covered are oral sex, anal sex, pegging, the how to have threesomes, sexual fantasies. We covered extended massive orgasm. We are covering this coming week on how to touch, how to kiss, how to do a foreplay, how to seduce your partner. It's, I'm telling you, this these series are just filled with really good information. Well, this is your opportunity to let me know if there's this is the last call for sexual skill. So shoot me an email, let me know. Otherwise, be ready to learn a lot of good skills. All right, I'll see you guys next week and looking forward to hear your feedbacks. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.